0: This is episode 99 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing Women's Camp 2013, Theography, an Epic of Extravagant Love with Pam Teschner. This is session three from Sunday morning. I want to say thank you for such a fabulous weekend. Thank you for trusting me with your stories. Thank you for letting me pray over you. And I know that there were many lives that God touched last night and many lives that were changed for the kingdom. And I know that some of you have just entered the kingdom. And I want to say welcome. Welcome to the family. And I also believe it's very important that you let someone know. Please let that be me. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to greet you with a hug into the family of God. So tell your story. Tell someone before you leave. We would love to know that. So let me, uh, let me have you stand. We're going to practice our amen here in a minute. This is a nice way to start our Sunday morning with Psalm 108, verses 1 through 5. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make music with all my soul. And I have heard you do that this morning. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. Amen. You may be seated. So, in order to illustrate one of the major points I want to make this morning, I want to tell you a story. This story is about, I think, my first kayak voyage. Um, Susan gets me into a lot of stuff. She'll call and say, hey, there's this kayak trip down the San Let's go. And I said, oh, okay. And so they bring all the stuff. It's a little tour thing. And they bring the kayaks, and they bring all the equipment. And so there they were. And so she and I went, and there we were standing completely. Have you ever been in a kayak before? You had... For years, well, why were you freaked out? I was the one that wasn't in the kayak before. <laughs> anyway, so she's probably, yeah, for my benefit, trying to get me in a kayak. So anyway, I thought, oh, this will be fun. So you go there and you pick out your gear, and so you know you got to have a life vest, and you got to have this and the, that. You got to get your oar, and um, you got to pick out one of those kayaks. And another thing you pick out, which I was a little humiliating because I really didn't want to do this, neither did you, and it's called a skirt. And the skirt goes around your waist like this. And it hangs down about here in the front. And it's really short, about right there in the back. And so we have our right red skirts on. And we've got our hats because, you know, our skin, we've got to keep it from burning. And we've got our shades on to try to look cool. And we've got our water shoes and our ore. And we're standing in the rocks. <laughs> I was kind of smirking at her, and then I realized I looked the same. <laughs> <laughs> and we're listening to the instructions. Okay, troop, today we're going out on the river, and um, it's going to be a great day. It's a beautiful sunny day, and um, here's what you do. When we, you get your kayak, and you're going to go paddle across the river, and we'll learn how to paddle. I thought I, I have to get there first. He's going to teach us how to paddle once we get across the river. That made a lot of sense. Okay, so... <laughs> And the current's going, and I have to get right there. Wait, there's, there must be a trick to how you go across the river without ending up down there. Well, there was. You have to aim there. So anyway, he's giving us all the instructions, and he says, this is great, after all the instructions, he says, Ten, this is how t- kayak trips usually go. About 10% of you will end up in the river. <laughs> I did not know that statistic. <laughs> And he said, well, there are 20 of you here today. You just did the math, didn't you? Susan looked at me and I looked at her. And she says to me, I think we're in over our head. Let's go shopping. (laughs) I got my skirt and everything. It's like, it's two. And so he says, now, when you get in your kayak, you pull your skirt and hook it over the front and the back. And so you got this skirt. Now, when two of you fall into the river, (laughs) when the two of you, whoever you are, are going to fall into the river, remember this. Pull the skirt off first. (laughs) Okay. Pull the skirt off. I'm thinking of playing because I know it's me. Okay. Number one, pull the skirt off. How do I always go over my head? What does it do? Anyway, pull your skirt off because if you don't, you'll get all tangled up, you'll drown. Drown? I did not come to drown. So then he says, so then once you get the skirt off and you're in the water, I didn't wanna get in the water. When you're in the water, don't lose your oar. Hang on to your oar. I'm gonna be trying to get a skirt off with an oar in my head. Hang on to your oar and point your feet downstream. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Okay, point your feet, and so I figured so that my feet would hit all the rocks as I'm going down the rapids. And so, <laughs> okay, okay, I think I think I've got it. Um, and then he says, uh, "You just hang on. We're, we'll get your kayak. Kayak? <laughs> get my kayak. What about me? I'm in mean, the." we'll get you eventually great okay all right so we get we get our kayaks and i figure out i got to aim there to get there that did not make any sense whatsoever and so we finally susan's an eager beaver she's already over there and i'm like wait a minute the herd you know the herd's tromping down 20 of us to the to the and then they're getting there and i'm like so you know we're bumper boats getting over to cross the river (laughs) we get over there so we get further instructions and we had to practice. You know, they put us in the bumper boats in this little inlet thing, and we're bumping into each other. Now, you know, we got these long ten-foot oars, and it's like, okay, here's how you go right, here's how you go left, here's how you go back. Everybody practice backing up, backing up. Everyone go forward, or we turn left. So we're Okay, so well, I'll figure it out when I get down the river. So then he says, now it's very important you watch me, because I'm going to signal you, and so. I'm trying to remember all the signals. Okay, that means turn right. So he's going to have his arm. This means turn right. Oh, that's logical. This means turn left. I'm smart enough for that one. Okay, this means come here. Circle around, circle around. Stop. I can't remember the others. Those are the main ones. Okay, so we're, so the herd goes, gets out onto the river, and it's moving pretty fast. By the way, we went from the I-5... Where the I5 goes over the Santiam River, there's a little boat ramp down there, there's a gravel boat ramp. That's where we got in and we got out at Buena Vista. And so I know it! I know it. It was if it wasn't for the lucky mute, I would have been exhausted. I'll tell you about that in a minute. And I did not realize that the that the Willamette, we joined the Willamette, and all of a sudden we're in this mile-wide it wasn't a mile, but it's a feel like it's a mile-wide river, rushing river. So anyway. Um, we're going down the, you know, the pack begins to spread out. And I'm one of these leisurely ones. And Susan was, is very intent in her mind to stay inside of that leader. And I kind of lost uh, the appreciation for that. <laughs> and I realized she was like almost out of sight. And I thought, I wonder which one of those is the guide? <laughs> How is this a pretty day? <laughs> I'm not going in the water we're going down the river, and we're exploring different things, and yeah, there comes a Willamette. Whoa, it's getting big all of a sudden. Okay, here we go, we're going down the river, and I see in the distance the herd. is kind of, By now, we're spread over, you know, over 100 yards, and um, I see the herd kind of going that way, and I'm thinking, wow, well, I wonder where they're going. No, I'm just paddling along, <laughs> and I see in the distance this signal for <laughs> left. And I was way over here on the right. This river's big and it's very swift by now. And so I thought, ooh. (laughs) I see Susan, clear in the distance, kind of getting in there. And I thought, oh, great. So I'm starting to try to paddle my way. And the river's going pretty good. And I finally get up to kind of where everyone's moving in. And I hear him yelling at me, paddle harder! So I'm paddling, I'm paddling, I'm paddling. I'm starting to sweat, I'm starting to pant. And he's like, and I realize it's that. My God, I'm gonna get swept right past that thing. And so there he kept yelling, "Paddle harder!" I'm paddling harder and finally, after all of that, I finally slip into this side stream called the Lucky Mute River. Am I pronouncing that right? Lucky Mute. It's spelled really weird. (laughs) The Hughes live on the Lucky Mute. I knew that at the time, and I thought, let's just paddle up and visit Candy and Kevin. (laughs) Anyway, so we slipped into this beautiful little side stream that had all kinds of trees growing along, and we just kind of paddled through there, and I caught my breath and relaxed and rested in that beautiful little side stream. And I was so thankful for the Lucky Mute that day. Um, What a beautiful sidestep. And had I not been paying attention, had I not worked and purposefully disciplined these little arms of mine to get this kayak into that side stream, I would have just right past it. And that's what I tend to do in life. I tend to just meander my way through or paddle along with all of the duties and all of the responsibilities I have. And I forget about the little side stream. God made us for that side stream. He put that side stream there for us so that we could catch our breath and spend some time just admiring his beauty, just resting in him and ceasing all labor, ceasing all effort. You know, there's uh, you hear Sabbath. I, I, I hear that. I'm starting to hear that in, in uh, you know, writings and stuff like that. You hear a lot about Sabbath now, the importance of a Sabbath rest. We were designed for a Sabbath rest. And not just one day a week, but every day. We need to find that rest. We were created for that rest, that leaning into God, that intimacy with Him. But sin threw us out of the garden. Our choice, our wrong choice, threw us out of paradise, broke that fellowship with God, removed God from the soul of man. God was in man in the garden. And when man chose to disobey, he laughed. And man had a dark soul, as we heard last night. This first point that I want to talk about is the intimate journey of falling in love. Falling in love with God, because as I said last night, he yearns for you, he longs for you, He reaches out for you. Don't forget the song of songs, 710. 710. That could be a little password for you all. 710. Don't forget. 710. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. He yearns for intimacy with you. He wants to share every sunrise and every sunset with you. And every day he walks the paths of your heart, calling out your name. Your heart was made to be locked in perfect oneness with the heart of God. You were created for that intimacy. And the door to sweet intimacy with God will swing open with the key of faith and the breath of a prayer. That's all. There's not a combination lock on it that you've got to figure out. It's a Key of faith and the breath of a prayer. Stepping stones of promises are scattered along the garden path, and the air is heavy with the fragrance of his love. Breathe deep and linger long. Walk with him in the cool of the evening, walk with him in the freshness of the morning. Walk with him throughout your day, all day, every day. Wake up in the morning. Good morning, God. Go to bed at night. Lay your head on that pillow and rest in his loving embrace and say good night, God. And he never slumbers and he watches over you. Lean upon him and listen. The more you Tune your ear to listen. You'll begin to hear the trickling sounds of his love. You will be filled with his irrepressible joy, his overwhelming peace, and you will revel in his strength. But the chaos of our days we plug into electronics, we listen to it, as I said, we're intoxicated with it. We Facebook, we Twitter, we tweet, we blog, we, we iPhone, we text, we, we fill our ears, our minds, with communication, communication, communication. And the God of the universe waits for you to plug into him and listen. You have to turn it all off, women. Unplug it. Turn it off. Slip into the side stream. There is a beauty that you miss. That is why we burn out and we end up being these empty shells and we wake up one day and say, I can't do this anymore. You need that time with him every day. He made you for that. 1 Corinthians 1.9. <clears throat> I love how it's said in the, in the Amplified. God is faithful. By him you were called into companionship and participation with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You were called. Someone says, what was, I don't feel called. You have been called. You've been called by name. And the word there, called into companionship, literally means out loud. Pam! He calls your name out loud. He's calling you into fellowship. And we're buzzed out. With all the white noise of society and the white noise of all of our activity. And he's saying, Pam, Pam, listen. And his voice is a still small voice. And it's drowned out just like that by all the noise around us. We have to step away. We have to purpose to step away and unplug and enter into God. Enter into his being. Experience that. Put yourself in that place and just behold him. There's no, nothing higher than that. There is no higher experience. Nothing better. It doesn't get better than that on this planet, than that sweet, Fellowship, companionship, friendship with God himself, with Jesus Christ. He has called you friend. He has called you friend. If you feel you have no friends, if you feel alone, if you're lying in bed as a divorced woman, as a single woman, Isaiah tells us that the Lord Almighty is your husband. One time after my divorce, I got a call. Can we talk to your husband, please? This is what I almost said. Well, the Lord God Almighty is my husband. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, talk to him. (laughs) No, he's not at home right now. Click. (laughs) He didn't exist, actually. That, That slipping away is very important. But we have to be intentional and purposeful about it. It is a choice. That's that thing that God gave us to choose. He gave us to choose. Chuck Swindoll said all he asks is that we come to him, that we spend a while thinking about him, meditating on him, talking to him, listening in silence. That's one that he's taught me since January. Listening in silence, occupying ourselves with him, totally and thoroughly lost in the hiding place of his presence. Lost in the hiding place of his presence. How sweet it is. How sweet it is. As I started praying last, late last fall, December, for revival in my heart, and I started preaching the gospel to myself, I obviously, when I say, by the way, that God said to me or I heard God say, you know that I'm not hearing voices. (laughs) I'm not literally hearing voices. I am not literally hearing God's voice. It's rare that people actually hear an audible voice. I'm not saying it's not possible. But when I say that, I mean that he gives me a sense. I feel him. I get a sense of his presence. And sometimes it's a true sense of his presence. And it happened last night. And it's just this, I know he's pressing me, and he speaks into my mind and into my heart. But I heard him say this in my heart. Well, let's have tea together in the morning. My morning routine is, was pretty much, I'm kind of regimented.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you should be. <laughs>
0: How did you know that? <laughs> We're a lot alike, that's what it is. Oh yeah! What? We'll get. I'll talk about that later. Stop it! <laughs> By the way, I make the world's best scone. Amen. <laughs> they melt in your mouth, soft and tender and sweet. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, where was I? regimented, I'm regimented in the mornings. And so what I did is that I get out of bed and I trundle half, you know, hairs everywhere and I trundle to the shower and I get in and that's how my day starts. I can't stand myself until I have a shower. <laughs> and so that's just what I did. And by that time, you know, I'm starting to get swept up into the day and it's like... And my mind started, okay, I'm going to... Okay, I got to talk to... Okay, I got these things to do. Oh, great, I've got a meeting at... I've got to get ready. And all of this stuff just... I mean, I'm already starting to, oh, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, anxiety starts to rise, and I'm ready, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's right, God. Okay, let's see. Okay, praise That's great. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Seriously, I, I don't think I'm the only one, right? <laughs> so I tent, my time with him though I was well-intentioned, started out at about 10, and then I went to kind of 5, and then I went to a couple of minutes, and then pretty soon it was about 10 seconds. And God was like, what? What? Where am I? I must be less important than all these other things. And I realized that God was calling me to himself and saying to me, you need to spend some time with me. But actually what I realized as I sat there was that He wanted my presence. And my presence, I'm with him right now, you're with him right now. When I work, when I go throughout my day, I'm answering my phone, I'm answering my emails, I'm sitting in a meeting. Yes, I am with him, and I'm in his presence. But to be really in his presence, to be just beholding him, is a discipline that you must unplug and set aside. And so at the end of December, last December, during some time off, um, I just had this sense, oh, you let's, spend, let's have... Because I love tea. I love tea. You should see my tea collection at home. I love loose-leaf tea, all kinds. And so I picked out my favorite one, which is peach apricot. Oh, so good. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, God, I've got time. Pfft, that was pathetic. Okay, since I'm on vacation, I guess I could afford to do that. <clears throat> Bad. So... Anyway, he says, well, let's have tea. So I thought, well, that'd be great. I was actually kind of excited. I went to bed thinking, I'm going to have tea with God in the morning. And so, and I got one of my new scones. And so we, I got it and I heated up my tea and I, oh, I slipped on my old comfy sweatshirt, my OSU sweatshirts. And, <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, I went to my desk, sat down with my tea. And it's like, I, again, probably like you, I'm kind of a doer. And I have lists, and I'm a studier. I study. I love to learn. I love to study. Look things up. Write things down. And so I was just like, temptation was to just start studying. And he's like, stop it. (laughs) Just be still. And he gave me a verse. Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. That's what he said to me. For weeks, he said, no, put it down. Put the pencil down. In fact, don't open your Bible. That sounded a little sacrilegious to me, God. <laughs> you sure? I mean, it is yours, by the way. Yeah. And yes, it is mine. So, you know, I, I want you to just not open it for a while. Because as soon as I open it, I like, say, wow, what does that word mean? Ooh, that's really cool. Let's see. Cross-reference. Oh, let's go over here. And I just start this whole routine of study. I just love to just dig into it and study it. But he said, nope, that's not what I want right now. I simply want to sit with you. I want to be with you, be with you, and I want you to be with me, that's all. Be still and know that I am God. And he said that to me over and over and over in my heart for the days that came. And I wrote uh, chapter two about that, and it's called Morning Moments of that time, and God began to change me. I thought the way that God transformed my heart was by all the scripture study I did, all the Bible reading I did. And yes, he did. He uses his word to transform us, but that's not all he uses to transform us. Faith transforms us. Faith says, I'm going to behold you, God, the God I cannot see. I know he is there, and I began to do a thing in my mind where I visualized him with me. And, I, and it took me a few days, and I sat down, and I said, good morning, God. And I could hear him speak into my heart. Good morning, Pam. And it was rather personal, and I thought, whoa, he really is here. And I just sat in the stillness. And I said, I will give 30 minutes to be completely still. And that was hard, but you know what? I realized after 30 minutes that it went by just like that. Because I was just, I was letting him lead the conversation. And that takes a while. That takes practice of just sitting and saying, God, I belong to you. I am yours, and I'm here simply to love you. That's all. And I'll be still, and I know you're God, and I love you. And he said, I want to just love you. Let me love you. And in that quiet, over those days and those weeks that followed, he began to do a revival in my heart. And as I went back to work, I said, God, I really like this. I really like this time. And so now I am going to set my alarm for five so that I can spend a half an hour with you before I start my routine, before I get in that shower. And I cherish that. And now I slip on the comfy sweatshirt and I stumble out to the microwave and I put my hot water and I get my tea and I... I, (laughs) And sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired, I feel wretched. And I just say, God, I'm really tired, I feel wretched. And he just loves me. And I, whether it's the caffeine or God, it's probably both, and I start to get revived. <laughs> I would recommend black tea. But he has done a transforming work in my life. In those months since I started that routine, Of giving him first place. Put him first. Put him first. And you will be amazed at what he will do in your life. Be still and know that I am God. The message puts it this way. Step out of traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything, above Facebook, Step out of traffic. Get off the internet. Get off the Facebook. Get off, get off, get off. And just take a long, loving look at me, your high God. The high God is in the room. Take a long, loving look above everything else. In Hebrew, the word be still means to Fold your wings. Have you ever owned a parakeet canary and they go crazy sometimes in the cage? And they're flapping everywhere, you know? That's how I am a lot. I'm flapping everywhere through my day trying to get everything done. And and he says, be still. He just kind of whispers a stillness over you. Be still. Fold your wings and settle down. It's that sinking down, folding your wings, relaxing, and literally visualize yourself Folding your wings and leaning into God because He is putting His great wing over you. Read Psalm 91 and think about that as you sit with Him <laughs> over your cup of coffee or tea. Take a long, loving look at your high God. Jean Guillaume, a writer from many, several centuries ago, said it this way that is a sweet, Sinking into deity. I love that phrase. That phrase has stuck with me. That prayer, you can call it prayer time, you can call it beholding Him, you can call it meditation, reflection, whatever you want to call it. It is a sweet sinking into deity. Wow. Think about the transforming power of sinking into deity. It is transforming. Walking by faith in God, not faith in you. What does that look like? Tony, there's a slide of, and this is really hard to see, but if you'll notice that this is, uh, this is a sheer rock face, 4,700 feet high in China. And that is a glass walk built on the side of a sheer cliff, 4,700 feet in the air. Do the next slide. <laughs> that I don't think I could do that. The glass is two and a half inches thick. The path is three feet wide. And the glass kind of rail thing. I would be just, well, actually, I don't think I'd even get on it. But as you can see, I mean, really? Why is she doing that? It's solid. Why is she doing that? Is it kind of like, no, fall? She's going to fall. There's one in the Grand Canyon. I didn't know that. It's glass. Has anyone ever stepped on that? (laughs) You've stepped on it. That's scary. Yeah, I mean, think about it. It's solid. Your brain says, well, it's solid. You know, you can feel It's solid. But your eyes are like, oh! (laughs) That would, yeah, I would be, I I get freaked out in the rose garden. (laughs) Not my rose garden. (laughs) The rose garden. Debbie and I went to a Women of Faith one year, and we were on the nosebleed section. I walked in like this. I I don't like heights. I would not get on that. That's called the walk of faith. Fear is paralyzing. Irrational fear is just paralyzing. God asks us to walk by faith, and sometimes it makes no sense because we can't see the solid footing that he gives us. He is a rock under our feet, and we can't see it Because we don't have those supernatural, spiritual eyes yet. And I just wish sometimes that he could just make himself visible, just for a second, so I could see that he was there, that he's all around me and underneath me. But we don't have that. That's why it's called faith. Faith is confidence in what you can't see. This is a walk of faith. Confidence in God. Remember Peter? He stepped out of the boat. Wow, amazing faith! We kind of chide him for looking. What kind of faith was that? He sank. Well, he got out of the boat. <laughs> you wouldn't have peeled my fingers off the side of the boat. He got out of the boat, and can you imagine that first step? And it didn't go through. It's like, oh. <gasps> <gasps> And he just starts walking. And you know, his eyes were fixed on Jesus. And what happened? <laughs> he dropped his eyes. The storm began to whip up. It might have already been going, but maybe when he stepped out, it was calm. Maybe the storm just started to blow up. And he was, as he was walking, the wind is blowing through his hair spray from the waves is starting to get him wet. And the wind is just really getting strong. And the waves are getting higher and higher. And it's beginning to splash up. His robe is getting wet. His feet are wet. He's starting to get a little bit chilled. And it's just like, it's the roar of the storm is around him. And suddenly he just goes, and down he goes. And for that moment, when he stepped out of the boat, he knew that his Jesus was greater than the water, greater than the circumstances, greater than the storm. And so many times we start out with great faith and we know he's bigger. He's a great God. And you're starting out at the end of this weekend knowing he is a great God. And you're going to you can walk on water with your eyes on him. And you're going to go into perhaps some stormy, heartbreaking circumstances. And for moments you will think the storm is bigger than God. It is not. The storm is not bigger than God. I told you some 25 years ago or so, I knew I was going to be walking back into a storm. And I wandered this campground Sunday afternoon, not wanting to go back down into the storm, afraid. And I was looking at the storm. I was looking at my circumstances, and I didn't have faith. I struggled, but you know where Jesus is? (laughs) He's reaching out. He's not going to let you drown. When you're in the middle of it, I didn't know. I was just in darkness. I was struggling. I was drowning. My life was slipping away, and I thought this was it, and I couldn't sense God or feel him, but faith, I knew I did not lose my faith that I knew God was there. I knew God would sustain me. I knew he was reaching for me. And he did. You can trust him. He is faithful. His hand is already extended. And he will grasp you. And he will bring you above the waves. I promise you that. I promise you that. Christ has just reminded me of something. And we need to pray. Oh God. You are the God of the storms the God of our valleys. You are the God of our peaceful days. I ask right now that your Holy Spirit will settle over us, that you and your angels would magnify this place with your power, that you would hold all force that would distract, hold all force that would keep us from you, that you would keep that at bay outside this room. In the name of Jesus Christ, we hold that at bay and enter here with all of your power and grab these hearts of yours. We love you. And I ask that you would continue to speak through me. Use this voice, use this body, Strengthen it, empower it, and speak through it so that we can all hear what you want to say. In Jesus' name. Somewhere along the way, after I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, And I was a child at the time, probably seven, I believe, seven or eight. And, um, and at that age, it was obviously childlike faith. And I, have, I know that where, I know the circumstances. I don't know a date. I don't know the specifics. I know who. And so, as, as a junior in high, in high school, I wanted to have that faith stake. I just needed to know. I needed to know for sure. And so I remember saying, God, I know I accepted you as my Savior, but I can't remember it specifically. I need to remember something. And so as a junior in high school, I said, God, I'm sure I've already done this. I know you're in my life, but I just want to make sure this day I accept you as my Savior and Lord. So I have a moment that I can say, I know this day. You need that moment. And I knew by faith he came into my life. But I thought the rest was up to me. I thought, okay, he said, great, this is great. So here we go. Here's what you need to do. And so I really, truly believed that there was a list. There was a list of things to do. And so I just, I'm really good at following lists. Just give me one, I am follow it. And so I began to accumulate my list of things to do. But... um, it became kind of a noose around my neck. It became strangling because I failed. I couldn't do it. I, I just kept failing and failing. And I tried to pretend that I was set free and that you know, I was, that life was good and I was living a good Christian life and I was finding that fulfillment and satisfaction with him. Um, but secretly, I was still tied up. I was sort of like this Larson comic There's, there's dogs going for a joyride. And there's one dog in the back seat. And it says, careening through the neighborhood with reckless abandon, some of them didn't realize that Tuffy was still tied up. <laughs> <laughs> Tuffy got jerked out of the car so much for freedom. Tuffy's still tied up. And that was me. I really thought in my high school, college years, young adult, You know, everyone else is having their joyride. How come I can't find that? I can't find that peace. I can't find that joy. I couldn't find that abundant life. I read it that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. I wanted to do that joyride with my friends who I thought were all careening off in freedom and then, you know, jerked and that's it. And I struggled. It was strangling. It was strangling the life out of me. And literally, I came to the end of my rope. (laughs) I came to a point in my life, and it was 1985, October, I remember. And I said, that's it. I'm done. I can't do it. I cannot do it. So God, I don't know what else to do. That's it. I'm done. I guess I can't do this. I can't make it. I guess, you know, there aren't too many things I fail at in life, but that seems to have been the one that I, and the most important one that I failed at. But you know what I sensed God saying was, well, it was about time. It's about time. He gives us choices. And sometimes He just watches us run off with these little nooses around our necks. And He just so wants us to realize there's freedom in me, there's freedom in me. Gene Edwards wrote, thank God for the failure because it's that constant failure that causes us to drag our nearly lifeless bodies up to the Lord Jesus and say, I give up, Lord. I cannot live the Christian life. That will mark the most wonderful moment in your Christian life. On that day, you are confident. No, on that day, you are a candidate for the Father's life being lived out in you. When I finally said, I cannot do this, then he said, finally, because I can. You can't. I'm telling every single one of you, you can't do it. You simply can't. And some of you are trying your best to do it, and you can't. It took me years because I am quite deliberate and quite, um... Kathy, what you call me the other night? It was a spoon, something about a spoons game. I remember what she, she, apparently when I was younger, we were playing spoons at their house and I was rather uh, persistent about getting a spoon and broke one of their chairs, but (laughs) I just remember leaping across the table to grab that last spoon and apparently I broke a chair in the process. There's not very many people that can defeat me. I may look small, but I'm tough. So I don't like being defeated. I don't like it. (laughs) And I'm very perseverant. But I was at the end of it. That was that was, it took me because I'm so strong and perseverant, thus I've got a doctorate. Only people that are crazy that perseverance get doctorates. I'm sorry, I bet there's somebody else in this room, isn't there? (laughs) Good for you. Is Judy still here? <laughs> all right. Anyway, when I got to the end of it, I literally said, okay, that's it. Don't know what to do. Do. There's those words again. Didn't know what to do. What good things must I do? I didn't know what to do. It's out of all the options. So I thought, well, the only thing I can think of at this point is that I need to go talk to somebody who knows what I should be doing. And so I went to my pastor, in fact, and in his wisdom, he said, stop doing anything but this one thing just start reading ephesians start with the first chapter of ephesians and just start reading it just start reading it and you might have some paper nearby and write whatever god puts in your heart copy a verse down write a prayer cry on the paper Whatever it is, whatever's in your heart, get it out on the paper and just keep reading. And as I did that night, that was very freeing because I thought, okay, I'll just read. I can do that. I can read. And as I started reading, slowly, 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 over many weeks and many months, God began to transform my heart. And it was like he started to come towards me out of the fog. And I could see him beginning to materialize. I'm like, that's God? That's you? I had no idea. I thought I had to perform. I didn't think you were very happy with me. And I began to see him for who he was and how he saw me. And just this last January, as I spent my morning moments with him, he said, you know what? This abiding in me, this spending time and intimacy with me, Even that is a gift. Even that is by faith. You don't have to do the abiding. It's like, okay, I've got to abide. How do you abide? No, 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 that's me. It's like, how do I do that? No, stop it. Just come, spend some time with me, be still with me. That's abiding. I give that to you. Trust that with me. If nothing else, know that when you walk away from here and say, God, I can't do it at all. I can't do anything. He is saying, I can and I will. I will give you the faith to follow. I will bring you into my presence. I will cause you to abide with me. I will do that. Do you know how freeing that is? Look at Galatians 3 and 4 and 5 about not being shackled, not being shackled by the change of performance. Stop it. You can't do it. I was chained to that performance. It was a noose around my neck. And he says, you were meant to be free. I made you to be free. That's why I died. So that you could live in freedom. I am your all in all. I am enough. And I will do it in you. Just get out of the way and trust me. Just say, Lord, it's yours. It's yours. I'll take it back. A okay, Lord, it's yours. And let it go. And visualizing him taking it. Whatever it is, whatever your storm is, whatever your hurt is, whatever your performance is, whatever your chains are, you do this mental thing of seeing yourself, putting it in his hands, letting it go, and stepping back and saying, Lord, it's yours. I give it to you. But if you're like me, I need to take that just for a minute. Because I've got to worry. Because I must not really care if I don't worry. So I've got to worry. Worry, worry, worry. Anxiety. Oh, 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 stress. Can't sleep. Oh, no. I'm having a stress attack. Oh, oh, oh. I'm getting diseased. Okay. <laughs> it's yours. Now, I'm not saying that's an insecure for disease or stress, but we fret and worry ourselves into all kinds of physical problems, don't we? I do. I know I do. And he said, just give it to me and let it go. I know you are in the middle of some difficult circumstances. I know your hearts are breaking, and so does he. And he loves you. And he wants to take care of it for you. Let it go. And back away. And say to him, I've let it go. It's yours. Take it. And walk away. And if you find yourself coming back and grabbing it, just repeat the process. Back away. And you may have to do that time after time. You may have to do that every five minutes. But... Over time, it'll become a habit. It'll become a pattern. I have no faith, God. I let go and just going to let you do it and back away. And he will do it. Your God is your all in all. It has nothing to do with what you do. It's what you receive. God gave me a word not very long ago, and the word is nothing John 15:5 John 15:5 I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, or a woman remains in me, abides with me, stays with me, stays close to me, I will with him, her you will bear much fruit. You want to bear a lot of fruit for the kingdom? All you got to do is stay close to God. You don't have to do anything. I'm not saying you all need to stop doing your ministries. Airborne, just go home. It's all right. We're done. No, no, no. We do. We do. I do because he does in me. I'm not doing this. He is doing this in me. I am taking a step of faith and obedience and saying, Yes, Lord, whatever you call me to do, what you put in front of me to do, I will do it in your strength, your power, in your great name. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Just a few weeks ago, recently, he said to me, How much is nothing? How much is nothing? Nothing. Well, nothing's nothing. Nothing. There is nothing. You can do nothing. It took me until 1985 to realize that. And even still to this day, I think I can do it. I think I can do it. I'm just one of those kind of people. I think I can do it. If I try hard enough, I think I can do it. And I try and I have to realize no, I got to get out of the way. Let it go. Here, it's yours. It's yours. Let it go. Step back. You can do nothing. I can't, but he can. Sometimes God asks a lot of us. And sometimes he asks us to let go of things that are very precious to us, very dear to us. And he may ask you to let go of of a child, of a parent, of a spouse, of a job. And we don't understand how we could let go. My youngest son, Eric, flies in a uh, Blackhawk. He's not the pilot. He sits behind the pilot as a crew chief and behind a gun. And uh, he's home right now. Actually, not this second. I'll tell you about that in a minute. He is, uh, after Afghanistan, he's come home for a month, and he's going to Honduras on August 1st. And I saw as he was standing in his bedroom, which is so good. I know if you're a mom and you've got a grown child and they come home for a little while and they're standing there in that familiar place. And I just felt like, I can be mom again. And it just felt so good to have my son standing there. I saw a black... bracelet thing on his wrist, and I said, Eric, what's that? Those are my friends that died protecting me. It was an Apache helicopter behind him that was running protection for his helicopter so they could pick up wounded, and he said they shot them out of the air. And I feel so bad for their families. And they took those bullets for us. <clears throat> and he said, "I said, you, um, did you take much enemy fire?" <laughs> well, some, Mom. <clears throat> There's been bullet holes in the side of my helicopter. A few. I, no, he said casually. I almost took one in the face. You what? Well, I bet it missed me. (laughs) You know, when he enlisted, he did it without asking. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere I went wrong. (laughs) 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 Um, Or was I? He didn't ask. So um, I said, Eric, Eric, you're going to be in danger. My goodness, what are you thinking? <laughs> and um, he said, Mom, my life is in God's hands. Doesn't matter where I'm at, does it? Oh, for Pete's sake, go spiritual on me.
1: <laughs>
0: All right, you're right. <laughs> but I'm your mom. <laughs> But you know what? The only way I can do this, women, and there are those of you that have your sons and daughters over there, and I know that fear, and there's probably some of you who have lost your son or daughter. How can you let go of something so precious? But God assured me in Psalm 139 that all of my Eric's days and all of my Mark's days and all of my Cora's days, Cheryl's days, my days, my family's days, my mother's days, my father's days were numbered in God's book. And on the day that he wrote their last chapter, their promotion day was written in the book. And it was determined before time began. And there is no Afghanistan terrorist. There is no wacko that can walk into a school and that can take a child's life or my son's life or your life without somehow the sovereign God knowing and allowing it and saying, it's time to come home, my child. I don't understand it. And my weak faith has a really hard time with that. but he has written every day of your life in his book. And when the day is right for your promotion and your mother's promotion and your child's promotion, then that day will be right and it'll be perfect. It will be the moment when God says, welcome home. And they walk into his presence. And when I got that phone call, sometimes there is a lot at stake. And sometimes we have to let go of things very precious to us. In 1995, after having custody of my two boys for four years, I got daily phone calls. I want custody. No. Next morning, I want custody. No. I want custody. No. Can you give me custody? No. I want custody. No. After four years, (laughs) I got really good at no. After four years, I'm lying in bed for Pete's sakes. It's early in the morning. What is he doing? Phone rings. Oh, great. Here we go again. I want custody. And I felt God saying, think about it. And I was silent for a moment. Of course, he was ready for no, and he was like. (laughs) And I said, I'll think about it. And I thought about it, and I prayed about it. Both of my boys were at an age where they were going into their teen years, transitioning to a new school, and I thought if there was any, going to be any time, now would be the time. And I really felt, and I can't tell you why exactly, and I am not saying this is what you should do, or that anyone on the rest of this planet should do, It seemed rather ridiculous to me at the time. And I talked to a lot of people, but mostly to God. And I talked to my sons. And I said, do you want to live your through, father? You know, this is your teenage years, and I know that sons need their fathers. They need that role model. They need to learn how to fix a car. They need to learn how to do stuff. And their dad was very handy, very good at stuff like that. Um. And so they said, well, maybe, maybe. And so we kept talking about it, kept thinking about it. He kept calling, and we're thinking about it. And I talked to an attorney. Well, and he said, you know what? Your sons were very young when all of this happened. Maybe they need to know their father. Maybe they need to really know their father, other than weekends. And so reluctantly, reluctantly and with great pain, when that call came again, I said, yes. And I gave up custody to my two sons and I became the non-custodial parent paying child support. God pressed me to do that. And I remember that last time that I took them up to his house and I dropped them off and it wasn't like I wasn't going to ever see them again. It just felt that way. And I thought, I am being a horrible parent, and no one could understand. And I'm sure there's some women from Lebanon that probably didn't know that I did that, that I gave that up. Or if they did know that, they probably thought, what is she thinking? Maybe she's not such a good mom after all. <laughs> I know, I know you didn't really think that. <laughs> but actually, there were some. <laughs> but people don't understand. People don't need to understand, do they? When God calls you to do something, it doesn't matter what people think because you are being obedient to the voice of God. And sometimes it won't make sense. I know when I left him, I'm the one that walked out of the house. I know I was doing it by God's prompting. There were many people that did not understand that, and that didn't matter. It hurt, it hurt. I had much counsel, and those were very hurtful years in so many ways. But I had a lot of loving friends who just prayed for me, and some of them, many of them are sitting in here today. I went to the river that day as I dropped them off. I went to one of my favorite spots on the river. In fact, you will drive over it if you 're going back to Lebanon as you drive down this mountain, I call it Bates Bridge, and it goes over the Santiam and it 's a great spot for being in the water it 's a great spot to start your kayak and go down river and I crawled under that bridge to those massive rocks on a warm September day, and no one was there. And I was hurting. And I talked to God, and I poured out my heart to Him that day. I have obeyed. I have given up my sons, and it is tearing out my heart. And it was not easy for them, they walked back into some difficult circumstances, and Eric almost gave it up, but he hung in there, we all hung in there, and God did a work in all of our lives. But when I sat there on the river, pouring out my heart, and I watched that river flow by and disappear around the bend, I just thought, God, I don't know what's around that bend. I don't know what's ahead for my sons or for me, but I know you're already there, and I will trust you for it. But God, and here's where I got a little bit bold. God, I have given up something very precious to me. Now, I expect something in return. (laughs) And on that rock... I said to him, sort of like Jacob when he wrestled with God, I started wrestling with God, and I said, God, I want something out of this. And I felt this passion starting to build inside my heart, and I said, I want to know you better and better. I want to know the depths of you. I want to understand you. I want to have wisdom about how you work. I want to know I want to know you intimately. I want to know you passionately. And God, you better give me a gift. You give me a gift to speak about your truth, your love with passion and with power. I want that gift. All right. And it I didn't realize what I was asking at the time. But I sat there on that rock, and next to me was this rock. And I picked this rock up, and I held it in my hand, and I said, God, I will serve you, I will do what you want me to do, but I just more than anything else, just want to know you. I want to love you passionately, and I want to be able to somehow be able to spin words so that I can, to the best that I can, which, of course, is not me. It's God. I want you to do that in me. I want you to use me in that way. That would be so cool. And I picked this rock up that day. And as I got up from the rock, I looked, and what I was leaning against, that kind of rock face, And along there for a ways were the the little exoskeletons of the mayfly. They had crawled out of the water, stuck themselves on the side of that nice hot rock, and they transformed and flew away. And their shed skins were all that was left on that rock. And I looked at that, and I thought, whoa. And I felt that I was leaving a shed skin on that rock and walked away into a new chapter of my life that God was writing. He may ask you to do some big things, some very hard things. He may ask you to let go of some really tough things. But you will be amazed at what he will fill that void with. He will fill it with himself. And it has filled me To the measure, overflowing what God has done in my life with that sacrifice. Women, you're beautiful. You are beautiful. God is making you beautiful. We feel like filthy rags sometimes, but God is doing a beautiful, beautiful work. I want to read you two verses out of the message as kind of these parting thoughts. And it's in second, both of them come out of Second Corinthians. I love this section of Scripture in chapter 3 and chapter 4. But chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4.6 says, It started when God said, Light up the darkness. And that's how we started Friday night. And our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful. And chapter three of that, Second Corinthians, chapter three, verse 18, "Nothing between us and God. Please remember that. Nothing between you and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of His face, and so we are transfigured much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually, not overnight, I wish, but our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. Beautiful. Do you know that you are the beauty God wears? It's interesting that it says we are clothed with his beauty He looks at you, and God looks at you and sees the beauty of his Son. You're clothed with Jesus Christ, but the phenomenal thing is that he lives inside of us, and so you are his clothing. People look at you and see Christ. You are the clothing of Christ. Keep looking into his face. Keep beholding him. In order to see God clearly, that glass has got to be kept clean. It's like looking through a mirror, looking through a glass, it says in that verse. And as you begin to really keep that mirror clean from sin, you confess sin and you keep letting go of things and trusting him, as that glass is clear, you're going to see the face of God, and it will be reflected in your face, and you won't even know it. You will have a glow, a radiance. Your beauty will be that inner glow of radiance of God himself, and people will know it. They will sense it. They will see it in you, that inner glow and beauty that is God himself. Keep looking at him. Behold him, keep the glass clean, and he will transfigure you. There is a song that I've heard lately that I want to read these, um, read this, some lyrics from the song as we close. And this is kind of encapsulates my life. I heard this song not very long ago. It's Michael and Lisa Gunger, and it's called Beautiful Things. And these are some of the lyrics. All this pain. I wonder if I'll ever find my way. I wonder if my life could really change at all. All this earth, could all that is lost ever be found? Could a garden come up from this ground at all? I wondered that. I was devastated. It was a barren wilderness my life was could a garden really come up from this ground at all the chorus is you make beautiful things you make beautiful things out of dust you make beautiful things you make beautiful things out of us all around hope is springing up from this old ground out of chaos life is being found in you you make me new you are making me new he is making you new and he will be every day making you new it does not stop it is not a transformation that ah that's perfect and annalee finish that painting and she walked away and she probably thought, that's it. That's perfect. And God doesn't finish that painting of your life. He keeps painting it and painting it. He keeps transforming it into his thing of beauty. But it is your choice to let him do that. So when you walk away, spend time with him. Put him first. Unplug. Behold him. Sit in stillness with him. Feed on his word. If you're not hungry for it, tell him, God, make me hungry for your word. God, show me time I can spend with you. God, tap me on the shoulder to remind me you're there. He will. He has for me. He made you to be free. He made you to be free, to break those shackles. I know that he has done that in some of your lives this weekend. I know he has. Praise God. Amen. Amen and amen.